Hello and welcome to The Roadmap, a podcast from Resume.io. I'm your host, Anna Muckerman, a professional career writer here at Resume.io. Each episode of The Roadmap will bring you interviews with career and hiring experts full of actionable advice to help you get your career or job search on the road to success. In today's episode, we'll talk to Tom Wheelhouse. Tom is a former police officer who left the force without a plan and managed to find his calling helping others make career changes. He founded Mitify, a coaching and training platform which provides a practical and empathetic approach to help emergency service workers change their careers and their lives more easily than he did. Tom, welcome to The Roadmap. Thanks, Anna. It's great to be here. Well, tell me a little bit about your time in the police force. Uh, when was that? How long were you an officer for? And, and what sort of did you do in that stage of your career? I was an officer for about five years in, in London. Uh, I did a few different roles, uh, a couple of years doing the what most people recognize as normal kind of police work, scooting around the streets with flashing lights and sirens and things, answering emergency calls. I did some more specialist work around disorder and sort of violent crime as well. And I was really lucky to have a year or so working on the Olympics in 2012. So it was my kind of first real job in inverted commas. And I joined the police when I was about 22, I think. Um, So it was, yeah, after university, it was my first kind of exposure to a big organization, a real career and yeah, in at the deep end in a lot of ways. And then what happened? You sort of discovered that being an officer wasn't for you, or there was maybe some other catalyst that made you decide you wanted to make a a change in your career? There were lots of factors all happening at once, some of which were kind of internal for me, and some of which were external for the job itself or the career itself. And I found that over time, all the reasons that I'd joined and all the things I enjoyed doing, and I never stopped enjoying being a police officer, and I look back on it really fondly, but the equation started to change in favor of leaving rather than staying uh, for lots of reasons. Some were quite simple around paying conditions that weren't really keeping up with the broader market. Some were around the kind of work we were doing on a daily basis, which is by definition traumatic and stressful. And there wasn't really any support system for that. And then for me personally, I just felt increasingly stuck that I couldn't change things. I couldn't really have an impact. I wasn't really having ideas that were listened to. And every time I would raise something or see other people try and raise things, the idea was very much, or the answer was very much, that's the way it is here. We've always done it this way. And that started to really jar against my own values and my own desire as I sort of grew through my 20s and you sort of find out who you are more and what you want to do and the impact you want to have. You know, you had that experience in the police force, but I can imagine a lot of people have a similar experience in a wide variety of careers. You know, you rush into that first career after you graduate college and you're excited about the career itself. But then when you get in there, you realize there's so much office politics or the work-life balance is not what you expected. Or, you know, you just are having to deal with all sorts of things that are outside of the actual job. And I think it puts a lot of people in this situation where they're looking for something else and they're looking for freedom and flexibility and and opportunity. I'm guessing that a lot of people can relate to that feeling of this doesn't align with my values anymore and it's time for me to move on. Absolutely. And I think we, I hear it all the time from people now who've gone into, it can be in the 
public sector or in the private sector, I hear it from teachers or people who are in consulting or banking, it doesn't really matter what it is. People find, as you say, that the job they join to do, which might be the teaching bit, for example, is what they only spend 5% of their time doing because they're spending the rest of the time, as you say, almost kind of butting heads with the organization and the admin and the structures and the systems. And they realize actually, why am I here if I'm not actually teaching the kids or solving the problem or whatever it is that they actually signed up to do? So I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. What did that journey look like for you then when you realized, okay, I I can't deal with this organization anymore and there's several reasons why I want to make a change. How did you make that leap or that transition in your own life? I was, this is going to sound quite strange, but I was quite lucky that it was as bad as it was. And in, in hindsight, I felt that way. I've spoken to a lot of people and at the time I worked with a lot of people who were at a kind of a, comfortably uncomfortable four out of 10 and they were unhappy and unfulfilled and a bit stuck but they would find a thing to justify it and that might have been if I stay another five years I get a pension if I leave it's it's too difficult to leave or the money's not so bad or the shift pattern happens to work for me at the moment to justify it being comfortably uncomfortable whereas for me I didn't really have any of those considerations because I knew I wasn't going to do it for the rest of my life and because it got to a point that was so bad and so untenable, it was almost glaringly obvious for me to come in the next day and just say, you know, I'm really sorry, but I won't be coming back. The reaction, the organizational reaction was, you're lost. You know, you, plenty of other people want to work here. So, you know, we've got to queue out the door. It can't be that bad if other people want to join. Um, so it reinforced actually for me that I wasn't leaving behind something that actually particularly cared whether I was there or not. Um, and I'd be quite quickly forgotten. So that was difficult at the time, personally, emotionally. But now I actually look back on that as almost a, a kind of blessing in disguise. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right about that fact that it's probably much harder for people who are in that in-between stage where there's a few good things about their job that keep them hanging on. But when, you know, when all the signs are there and you know it's just not for you, then that gives you that push you need to walk away. So in your case, then you quit the police force and you didn't have a plan B. So where did you go from there? Did you decide to become a career coach right away? Or was that a journey that happened over time? It was a journey that happened over time. I think there was a, a real kind of trough for me after leaving the police where I'm really conscious that I often read people's success stories online, which is brilliant to do. But it's not very exciting or fashionable to talk about the the trough in between. So it's really cool to kind of say, oh, you know, I left the police and then two years later I was doing this and no one wants to talk about the struggle in between. But for me, there was a struggle in between and a, and a trough. And I, I just had to take some time, put myself back together, which sounds kind of dramatic, but I was going so hard day in, day out without ever looking after myself or even, I just didn't know what any of these things were, burnout and accumulated trauma and post-traumatic growth. I didn't know what any of those things were. We didn't talk about it. We just went out after work and drank if that was something we needed to kind of decompress over. So it was the first time that I started to really focus on myself. And gradually, as I went through that process, I started to understand myself a lot better so I could understand what would work for me and what wouldn't in terms of a future career path and a role. I like what you said about that period in between, because you're right, nobody wants to talk about the period in between. It's easier to talk about 
things, you know, once you've been successful and you just jump straight to that achievement, but it's actually the period in between that sort of makes us and gives us our direction and helps us figure out who we are and what we like. I think it's probably encouraging for people who are going through a career change for you to talk about that period in between. You're absolutely right. And often I find myself giving people permission to realize that change is difficult and a bit painful sometimes. And and I think sometimes when you've been in one place or you thought that was going to be your pathway, you can people almost self-reject from changing it because they think that I've invested in this and it's going to be difficult to change. Yes, it is. And I kind of I think we should almost just front up to that and say, yes, like change can be really difficult. But actually, like you just said, it's in that process of the in-between where you actually find out who you are, why you do things and what you want to do for the future. And we live in a world now where you don't have to do the same career for 40 years if you don't want to. And actually, most people aren't going to. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you're 21, 31 or 61. If you're actually not that happy where you are, start somewhere else. But you're not starting somewhere else. That's the point. I think people think if I change, I'll start again from the beginning. And that's really hard and kind of embarrassing and I lose status. But you don't because you're not starting from the beginning because any any employer worth their salt now realizes that if they hire someone who's got experience in another sector, they're getting a fresh perspective, a new set of skills. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so wonderful that we can have a life with multiple careers. I mean, 100 years ago, if you set out to be a carpenter, you were probably going to be a carpenter until the day you died. And today, if you want to be a teacher, nurse, and a police officer, you can do all three in a lifetime, you know? But anyway, tell me, you've kind of touched a little bit on it. So tell me a little bit more about the work that you're doing at Mitify and uh, with some of the, the clients that you work with now. Really, it all comes back to the point of when I needed just somebody to tell me what my options were, the options were, well, if you don't like it, tough. I won't repeat the exact sentence that my boss said because um, you probably can't publish it. But those were the options. Like you stay and get your head down and crack on or plenty of other people want to work here. So um, McDonald's are hiring. That was one, you know, one of the kind of refrains, which is really tough to, for people to hear when you've invested a lot to get to that point and you have an emotional connection with it. The reason I started Mitify was after I'd been in the corporate world a couple of years post-policing, a lot of the people who had said to me as I was clearing out my locker, you can't leave, you'll be back in two weeks, what else are you going to do? People don't leave, the grass isn't greener. They started calling me and saying, how did you leave? What did you do now? Can you help me do that? And I thought, yeah, actually I can because... I'd kind of seen behind the curtain, if that makes sense, that all that stuff about you can't leave and there's nothing else for you and no one will want you was actually those people's own fears being projected. And it wasn't true, but everyone was buying into it so hard that it kind of became this truism. But So I really wanted to build something that showed people their options. And I, I'm really passionate that having options and knowing that you have options saves lives. You know, it's a tangent, but it's an important one that in the kind of industries we work with, so that's police officers, some military uh, paramedics, firefighters, prison officers, we know there's huge rates of uh, suicide, of poor mental health. And often I really believe that's because people don't realize they have good or they don't know how to find the, the different options, the positive options, because it's well, you you signed up for this when you were 18. So there's a huge elements of mental health identity going on there. 
And you're meeting people in, in a difficult moment of their life, I, I can imagine, especially if you're dealing with EMTs and military, ex-military and police officers, they've probably lived some stuff, you know? And now they're they're saying, how can I make this big transition in my personal life? I think also it's relatable for people in other industries, this whole idea about you get into a workplace and people tell you, oh, you're lucky to be here, or this is the best job, this is the best industry that you could imagine, you know? And it's all, like you say, it's it's almost this manipulation, this brainwashing to keep you showing up and doing that job in less than ideal conditions. It's really great, the work that you're doing to help people see more clearly that they do have a choice, you know? I think you're absolutely right. It happens in every sector, in every kind of organization. And the, the word that crops up every time is institutionalized. And I have the same conversation with people who've worked for a particular bank or a particular high street store or a particular brand for 10, 15, 20 years. And they think, actually, this is really prestigious and it was really hard to get this job. But all I know now is how we do things at Nike or Coca-Cola or HSBC. And therefore, I won't be able to do it anywhere else when actually... You know, and I've been oversimplifying it, but 90% of jobs are basically sending emails and having Teams meetings. So when you speak to people in different industries, unless you really want to be a brain surgeon or an architect, but in most roles, really, what the, you could read 100 job adverts for the top 100 companies on FTSE 100 or on NASDAQ, and I bet you that they would ask for probably mostly the same skills. Do you know how to talk to people? Do you know how to solve problems? Are you resilient? Do you know how to come up with new ideas and see them through? If you've proven you can do things like that, you can take that anywhere. It doesn't matter if you want to go and work in wildlife conservation in Africa or hedge fund management in London. And I think the times have been better to actually try different things and see what happens or say yes to the opportunity without really necessarily knowing where it might lead. Let's move into the more practical aspect of it. How can people who are listening, who want to make a career change, they're looking at the skills that they've used in their, their previous position and they're thinking about where they want to go next. What are some steps that they can take to facilitate that transition? There are two things that I would encourage people to do. And both of these that you can do for free and with a piece of paper or your tablet in front of you. Draw a big line down the middle of the paper or on the screen vertically. And I think on one side, you need to have values and on the other side, skills, because some things overlap, but there are almost two different parts to it. And when I talk about values, I mean, who are you really? And then when I talk about skills, what is it that you actually do? And the way you get to both of those is by asking yourself a lot of questions, almost the kind of annoying questions that a five-year-old child asks you when they just keep asking why. So what? Why? So what? And you, eventually you can get to that. So if you start off by writing down in your skills, for argument's sake, if you're a project manager, you might write down, I'm good at planning, I'm good at organizing. Uh, there's some tech systems that I understand really well, kind of connecting other people that I need to do things for me. And I do it on time. I do it on budget. Okay, great. What if it wasn't project management? What if I picked you up tomorrow and said, right, I now I need you to do this as a captain of a fishing boat in the Atlantic. You don't know anything about fishing boats, that's fine. What are your skills? Well, I still know how to talk to people. I still know that we've got a limited amount of fuel. You can tell that I don't know anything about boats. You've got a limited amount of fuel, the weather plays an impact, and we need to get back on a certain time. Work out what it is you really do. And when you then start to look at job adverts, read past the 
context of the particular industry, the particular firm, and just ask yourself that same question. What are they really asking me to do here? Is it stop them being fined by implementing this risk practice? Is it make more money by selling more licenses for this product? And you can really drill that down. And as you go down the page, you should get to much, much more specific things. And you should almost be able to end up with, I would say, maximum of five things that you really do. Another way to think about that then is when you get to those five, ask someone else that knows you really well, whether it's professionally or personally, does this sound like me? Because they'll be able to say to you, yeah, you're someone, you know what, I would come to you because you get things done, you're really good with other people, and you keep us all on track and you're organizing things. That is your fundamental skill set. And the same on the value side of the page. When you start off with values, people will say generally in a whole sentence, something like, it's really important to me to do the right thing or to help other people feel better or to be the best I can be. And again, start to break those down. What does doing the right thing mean? I'm always honest. Okay, so honesty is your value. Why is it important for you to be honest? Well, actually, because then I understand that people respect me and they get better. So is it respect then that's really the thing that you want and the thing that's at the heart of everything you do? And eventually you can keep doing that and keep asking yourself that and you'll get down to a point where you should have five values and five skills and think of them like a Venn diagram. You might not have found a job title there, but I guarantee you, you've just ruled out about 97% of jobs that you might otherwise look at when you fire up uh, a big jobs board and see 25,000 results because you're blankly searching for things aimlessly. Okay, so you don't need to rent a cabin in the woods. You don't need to go on a $3,000 retreat. You just need a pen and a paper and some time to really think about it. But if you can do it in a cabin in the woods, then go for it because that sounds really cool to me as well. But you don't need to do that. Okay, okay. So once you've narrowed it down to these skills and these values, and you're also looking for jobs based on the skills and values, do you have any tips on how you usually advise your clients to go about conveying these things on their resumes or their CVs for that new position that they're looking for? Absolutely. I think the first thing I would say about CVs and resumes is is there is no one single right answer. So stop looking for it. Because you can ask 100 different people in the career change industry what the perfect CV is and you'll get 100 different answers. So what you really need to do is think about what is the point of a resume or a CV. The point of it is to get you an interview or to get to the next stage in the process. And I think a real key point I would really encourage everyone to think about is, is this actually relevant? As you start listing things and you're writing out all the things you've done and your education history and your examples and your extracurricular achievements when you look back at the job advert you're applying for have they asked for that and don't be afraid to leave things out it's not a personal attack that you did something really cool five years ago and it's not relevant so therefore you can't put it in your cv or resume find the things that answer the question you've been set in the job advert and put those in in the simplest most obvious and most kind of punchy way you can because that's what the hiring manager or recruiter wants to read make their life easy for them. That's, I think, what it really boils down to. Yeah, yeah, putting yourself in their shoes, right? And saying, how can I solve their hiring problem through my skills or my experiences? So, you know, it's one thing to go from being a teacher to a project manager, let's say. I mean, you have the organizational skills. You're used to talking to people. You are used to managing different moving parts. But you are working with 
police officers or ex-military, you know, if you were a general, a commander for 15 years, how do you help people with a CV that shows that very specific type of experience? And now they want to move into something completely different, finance, for example, you know, how, how do you help them show that they're qualified on their CV? I think it's a similar process of before you get to the, there's an unpacking and an unlearning process before then a sort of repacking and relearning process. And in the first half of that, it's sitting down with, in your example, a, a general or a sort of police commander and saying, what is it you actually do? And I'll guarantee you, they'll say, well, I'm the commander of this division. But if I said to you, you're not allowed to use the words commander, division, policing, law enforcement, all those sort of jargon words that every industry has. Tell me what you actually do. Well, I've got 250 people over three sites in this region and we provide a 24-7 service that keeps people safe. Okay, now let's go and look at the financial services job advert. What does this do? If we take out the fact that it says this is this named bank and this is their product and this is their thing, oh, we provide this many people with banking services that it's really important they can use 24-7, that it's really important that they don't go wrong, and it's really important that we actually get our numbers right and it's accurate. So actually, they're asking for the same thing, but you have to kind of strip away the the, the uniform and the colors and the brand and the terminology on both sides. Mm, mm, that's a really good point. Yeah, we, we sort of use our job titles as a crutch sometimes, and we just uh, think the job title can do the talking for us instead of putting in the effort to define. I think also because it's easier for us to say, well, I sell insurance or well, I'm a hedge fund manager, then I don't have to think about what I bring to the table. When actually, if you want to get a new job, especially if you're making a career change, you have to spend all of your energy thinking about what you bring to the table. Absolutely. It's the classic thing that the first time you do anything, it's generally going to be awful, but you get better either with practice or you start to ask experts for help or you, know, you, you work through it and it gets better and better. And it's the same with this. I'm not expecting anyone to suddenly turn around after 10 years in any one field and say, actually, here's my, you know, perfect um, TED talk for two minutes on why I'm the best candidate for this role based on my values and skills and transferable character. But you learn that over time. And the more you can chip away at that, and the more you can start thinking, but actually, I'm not just a police officer or an insurance manager or a utilities manager, whatever it is, the more it starts to fade away. And that also in parallel makes the transition, the career change much easier because you let go of that identity uh, and you realize that actually you're somebody who, for example, is a fantastic people person who gets things done when it really matters, who just so happens to have been a police officer in the past and will do something else in the future. And you can kind of let those things become individual chapters in a bigger book rather than you know, whole stories that can you feel can never end? Well, on that note, uh, this has been a very inspiring and encouraging conversation. I think for a lot of people, even people who aren't former police officers or military, or even people who aren't looking to make a career change today, because I think that this is the type of stuff that you don't learn in school. And one day in the future, you might need to know how to think through the career change process um, and all of the other elements that come with it. Because once you've decided that you want to make a change, that seems like that's just the first step, right? This, this career change is going to 
pervade through every element, through your CV, through your interview, through how you think about yourself, how you present yourself to others. So I really appreciate you uh, coming on to talk about it today, Tom. No, my pleasure. And yeah, I think it's the best time to start thinking about all that stuff was yesterday, but the second best time is today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tom. My pleasure. That's all for this episode of The Roadmap, brought to you by Resume.io, where you can find professionally designed templates and complete resume examples for over 300 job titles. Our easy-to-use builder takes care of the formatting so that you can download a beautiful resume in minutes. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please leave a review for The Roadmap in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. And don't forget to share this episode to help other job seekers find the show. I'm Anna Muckerman, and this has been The Roadmap. Thanks for listening and see you next time.